Father in heaven, here we are. And just in the silence of our own hearts just now, we want to give you full permission to speak to our hearts, to touch our hearts, to motivate our hearts, to fill our hearts with your love. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you that you have already gone all the way to the cross in order to reveal a love that surpasses our, our deepest understanding. And how much more do you want to reveal your love to us in this time together in your word? May Jesus be lifted up is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. He really didn't want to do it. As he was there, and I believe he was dictating the message to one sitting there with a, a pen writing, he didn't want to go to this length. He, he didn't want to have to, to share all of it, but as he thought about it, I'm glad that he shared what he did. He began to share some of the things that he had been through, and I, I imagine that as he shared this, he might have looked at his hands his hands that were probably scarred and marred by what he had been through. I imagine that maybe there was a twinge of pain in his back. Maybe, maybe he could visualize the blood that had flowed freely from his back. Maybe he, he thought about how cold he had been as he was there in the ocean. Maybe, maybe he thought about the broken bones that he had experienced, which quite possibly weren't set properly, and maybe he could even look down at his arm and see a little curve in his arm and see that it, it wasn't quite as straight as it was. He'd been through a lot. And he was a humble person. He didn't want to just go boasting about all that he had been through. He saw this as total foolishness, but yet he knew that somehow this might help this church to recognize where they needed to focus their attention. Go with me to first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul and Timothy are addressing the Corinthian church and Paul is, is going into something that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't want to do this. I don't want to begin to, to boast. But I've got to let you know what God has been doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and the first part of it, it, he's jealous for them. Verse 2, it says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I have this passion that, that you would fall in love like a bride with your husband, that you are only for Jesus, that your entire focus, everything in your life is focused and dialed in on Jesus as that bride who is setting herself apart for her husband. But I fear, verse 3 continues, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be complete corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I fear that maybe you're getting detracted and distracted by somebody coming in and telling you many different things that aren't pointing you to Jesus. It goes on to say, if somebody else is coming and they're, they're preaching another Jesus to you, they're missing the point. Then he goes on to explain his own apostleship and how it was that he could come and speak with the authority that he had spoken to them with. 
And go down to verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. When I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He doesn't want to go where he's going to go right now. He doesn't want to talk about his own experience, his own ministry, but he wants to give the Corinthians just this little picture, this little window of the life that he's been living. Go down to verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? Those who are coming to the Corinthians and, and spreading this false gospel to the Corinthians. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Then look at how he goes on to describe this. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. says, I've labored more abundantly. I've had stripes above measure, meaning I've been beaten beyond comprehension. I can't even count the number of times that I've been beaten. In prisons more frequently, I've constantly been in prison. I've constantly been facing death. Then verse 24, it gets really specific here. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. See, Deuteronomy limited the number of stripes that somebody could receive to 40. And so they would actually do one less than that just to make sure that they were perfectly safe. They would only give them 39 lashes because if they gave them 40, it might kill them. And they had this three-pronged leather strap that they would rip across their back and pull it, and it would rip the flesh across their back. Imagine that happening 39 times, but how many times did it say that it happened to him? Not just 39 stripes at one time, but this happened to him five different times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Now I've heard this described as the Roman version of how they would beat a criminal to try to get them to confess, to try to punish them out of their doing what they were doing. And they would take rods and they would actually try to break as many bones in the body of a person as possible. And you imagine what this would have been like for Paul as he was beaten by the Romans with rods. As three different times he was beaten with rods. Imagine having a broken bone back before the time of our orthopedic surgeons who could help you out. I just saw a picture this morning of Ron Chalker's dental uh, assist, uh, partner at his practice had a broken collarbone that's separated like this. I'm thankful for technology today that on Monday he's going to go and he's going to have surgery and they're going to attach it so it's the right way. But back in the day, if somebody broke your collarbone, what's going to happen? It's not going to be able to be perfectly mended again. You imagine how Paul looked. If you were to look at this man, Paul, with his broken bones, the scars on his back, all that he had been through to teach people to look to Jesus, to focus on Jesus. He'd gone through all of that, and he's having to, to enter into a little bit of foolishness with the, Hebrew, with the Corinthians here saying, look it, I've been through all of this. Three times, oh wait, well, before that we missed one of them. Once I was stoned. Let's go to Acts 14 really fast and look at this fascinating, fascinating story. Sorry, Acts chapter 16 and verse 22. Acts chapter 16, we pick up this story where 
He is stoned. Actually, maybe it is in 14. Chapter 14 and verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man with, without strength in his feet was sitting, a crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. So Paul comes to Lystra. There's a cripple there, and Paul commands him to walk, to get on his feet. And because of that, they come close to worshiping him, which makes the Jews really jealous. So down in verse 19, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. That's brutal, right? It sounds pretty brutal, but it's interesting if you actually look in the Mishnah at the process that was used for stoning. So when they would stone somebody, they would actually take them, they'd drag them to a pit that was about 10 feet deep. You know, I have this picture of stoning that's like they they grab some stones and they start throwing them at you, right? And they keep throwing them at you until... It still sounds really painful, but until you've been killed. Well, the Mishnah describes this process where they would take you to a pit that was dug. It was about 10 feet deep, and right before they get you to the pit, they strip all of your clothes off of you. Then they take you to the pit, and they throw you into the pit, which imagine just that 10-foot drop alone down into a pit. The first witness would go, and he'd make sure that you were face up in the pit. You know, you had to have the witnesses there who were the ones who were especially accusing you. So you have to have you face up in the pit. And then what they would do is they would go and they'd find the biggest rocks they could possibly find. And the second witness would take a huge rock, and he would walk up to that pit, and he would throw it down in the pit, that 10 feet down on top of the person who was being stoned, seeking to crush them. Now imagine you're in the bottom of a pit as a huge stone is thrown down on top of you. What would be your first reaction? What would you, how would you react? I would probably react like this, right? Put my hands up to try to stop it. That's why some commentators imagine that Paul's hands were so gnarled that he actually couldn't take a pen to write. Because of being stoned, trying to shield himself, it's likely that his hands were totally uh, destroyed by that rock being thrown on top of him. But they wouldn't have stopped there. They would have kept throwing huge rocks down into that pit until it looked like he was dead. And then they left him for dead. But the disciples return. It tells us in the next verse. We pick it up, thankfully, in verse 20. It says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he arose, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So remember, he's in Lystra here. The fascinating thing is the next verse, verse 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to where? Lystra. Wait a second. Paul was just stoned in a pit and left for dead in Lystra, and Paul's going back to Lystra in order to check on the disciples there? Okay, so that's, that's the background story of that part of First, Second Corinthians 11, uh, that he was stoned once. Verse 25 uh, continues, and it says, Three times I was shipwrecked. Now this is before the shipwreck that, that they ended up on Malta. So this is three times that aren't even recorded in the book of Acts. In fact, a lot of these beatings, a lot of these things are not recorded in the book of Acts. Paul's saying, I've gone through more things than you have any idea. 
keeps going. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Maybe he was clinging to the wreckage of a ship. In journeys often. It's interesting. I looked up something online about Paul's journey. His three different missionary journeys plus his journey to Rome. There's uh, something that Stanford has put together called Orbis where you can go in and you can put in the calculations. And somebody did the calculations for this time period before 100 AD of what amount of seafare travel it would have taken in order for him to do this, what sort of uh, travel and, and what sort of expenses it would have cost to be on the ships. It's estimated that he went about 10,282 miles, would have cost him 1,731 denarii or days wages. He went on so many journeys. He's saying, I went on more journeys than you can even fathom in perils of water, in perils of robbers. To travel in that day wasn't like today where you just drive down the road and you know that your CHP is watching out for you, the sheriff is watching out for you. But we get the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told and we see how brutal travel could be back then. In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Paul went through a lot. Paul went through things that I can't even fathom. What was it that motivated Paul? What was it that drove Paul to live a life like this? In the next chapter, it's fascinating. He goes on to tell them in, in chapter 12 and verse 15, and I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What kind of motivation does it take for a person to live this unselfishly? That they're giving absolutely everything. They're spending all of their time, all of their money. Their lives are being wrecked and threatened and constantly beaten going through all of this to share Jesus. What was it that motivated Paul to have that kind of love for people he didn't even know, to go to places that were dangerous in order to share Jesus? And how do I have that same kind of love? That's what I've got to know. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, he gives a, a little picture of what that motivation is. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul again and again is pointing to the source of his power being God. That it's not his strength that enables him to do all the stuff that he's doing, but it is the power of God. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he gives the key, I believe, verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This was the passion, the focus of Paul. 
fact, when he first wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he's telling the Corinthians that when I came among you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was the motivating power in the life of Paul. This is what enabled him to go through beatings and stonings, through mockings and scourgings, through death, facing death in, in, in trials, through, through going to be in prison cold and naked and hungry. He fixed his eyes on Jesus. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, he's able to say this. Turn there with me if you have the Bible or grab the the pew Bible in front of you. This is a beautiful text where Paul is saying, this is everything to me. This is the boasting of my life. I may have gone through all these things. I may have traveled thousands of miles to spread the gospel, but this is the key. Galatians 6 verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast, God forbid that I should brag about anything else except this, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, This is what motivates me. I look to the cross. I look to Jesus, that one who at first I was trying to persecute. I see now what he's done for me on the cross, and everything has changed. And everything will change in my life. Everything will change in your life when we get a fuller grasp of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at first, Paul didn't get it. And Jesus was patient with him. Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus and revealed a deeper picture and sent him to, to, for three years into the desert in Arabia to, to study and to, to ponder the things about what Jesus had done. Friends, we need to focus on the cross. There's something there that should be driving us to greater lengths in sharing Jesus with others. There's something that we're missing And it's not that we just need to stir ourselves up to something more, but we need a greater glimpse of Jesus. We need to see the cross in all of its glory. And this will be the motivating factor in our lives. This is what it was for Paul in his life. In the book, Help in Daily Living, it talks about the verse 2 Corinthians 5.14, where Paul says this, The love of Christ, said Paul, constrains us. The word in more modern translation there is compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. Then goes on to say, this was the actuating principle of his conduct. It was his motive power. If ever his ardor in the path of duty flagged for a moment. Have you been about God's business for years? Have you been doing a particular ministry for years and sometimes felt like, you know, I just can't get up this morning and go to Sabbath school and do that again. I, I just can't keep going back and leading out in prayer meeting. I, I just, I've given Bible studies for years and I just don't know if I can go and give another one. Paul, who's went through all of this, who was willing to spend and be spent for the Corinthians, for him it was just one Glance, it goes on to say, if ever his ardor in the path of duty flagged for a moment, one glance at the cross caused him to gird up anew the loins of his mind and press forward in the way of self-denial. One glance at the cross, just just a, a momentary glimpse of what Jesus had done for him, and 
suddenly there was a new motivation that stirred inside of his heart. You know, when I played basketball in high school, there were some people who didn't know how to motivate me. There was an assistant coach who he would tell me how terrible I was at this and how terrible I was at that and how we needed to toughen up and we needed to play like he played when he was in high school. And that just didn't motivate me. That didn't get me to play harder for him. But the, the head coach, the principal of our school, he knew something different about me. And he would instead focus on encouraging me. This is what you're going to accomplish. This is where you are headed. This is what I see you doing. Good job doing that. He inspired me with a motivation that gave me courage. What do you see when you go to the cross? What do you see when you look at Jesus on the cross? Do you see the cross as being a place where you come in order to earn God's favor, in order to convince God that if you confess your sins, that he will favor you? Or do you come to the cross with a recognition that the God of the universe so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son for you? That changes everything in motivation. I remember there was in high school uh, some girls in our class that I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to marry one of these seven girls that are in my class of 22. And one of them I started to actually kind of fall in love with, and I started to think, yes, she's the one for me. And I praise God looking back now that that did not happen. It would have been a very bad marriage, and I don't think we'd still be married. But... She didn't like me back at this time. She liked me earlier on, but by the time I came around, she had moved on to other people. And so as I began to think about how could I win her love, I would do everything possible. I would give gifts to her. I would give her rides everywhere. I even drove her one time to get a ride with her boyfriend somewhere else. (laughs) That's how much I loved her. I wanted her to see that I was this kind, generous guy and that she was really missing out. I wanted to do everything possible to show my love to her. But she used me. She abused that. She, well, I shouldn't put it that way. She's, she's a kind girl. But later on in college, there was another girl that I was in a relationship for a long time with. And similarly, again and again, I would try to win her love. I would do whatever it takes in giving extravagant gifts or doing, uh, taking her on trips that, that would somehow woo her heart. I was trying to do that because sometimes she would cheat on me with other guys. She would run off with other guys and her love wasn't really strong enough. And I thought maybe it would get stronger if I, I somehow gave her enough love. Sometimes in our relationship with God, we have this skewed picture of who God is that if I just come to the right place, then God is going to love me. But the truest, the purest motivation is found at the cross in the God who so loved you that he gave his son for you. That's the the starting point. The, The point is that God fully loved you, that he died for all of your sins, that that he would have rather that you exist than that he exists. Do you realize that that is what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was there and as he's praying and he's saying, Father, if there's any other possible way, let this cup pass from me. He was 
trembling at the thought of taking your sin into his life. He was trembling at the thought of of being your sin bearer. But as he realized that he could only save you by going all the way and drinking the cup, something that he felt was bringing an eternal separation between he and the Father. He was willing to lay down his life for you. He was willing to give his all for you because he would rather that you exist throughout eternity than that he exist. That's the truth of the God of the universe. That is who he is. And this just isn't Jesus, but this is God was doing this in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 goes on to say in verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This was the plan of the God of the universe that he wanted to bring you to himself through the cross. That type of unselfishness is motivating Paul believed that this would be motivating to others. That's why he lifted up the cross for people more than he lifted up anything else. The same passage in Helping Daily Living goes on to say, In his labors for his brethren, he relied much upon the manifestation of infinite love and the sacrifice of Christ with its subduing, constraining power. Paul was deeply anxious that the humiliation of Christ should be seen and realized. He was convinced that if men could be led to consider the amazing sacrifice made by the majesty of heaven, selfishness would be banished from their hearts. That's what I want, don't you? I want to have a heart that's not filled with selfishness, but the heart that is like Jesus, that it's ready to lay down my life for others, that's motivated to serve like Paul was motivated to serve, that it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter the cost to me or my life or my possessions, but I just want to serve Jesus. We can't naturally have that. It's the opposite of our fleshly nature. It only comes as we accept the sacrifice, the love of God at the cross, as we recognize that he first loved us. First John tells us that we only love because he first loved us. That's why John tells us in 1 John 3 verse 1, behold the love of God, that he would adopt us as children. Paul was convinced that if we could only consider the cross, if we could have that same glimpse that he had that motivated him to 10,000 miles of missionary journeys, that motivated him to spend his life savings on his missionary journeys, that motivated him to go through beatings and scourgings, through mockings and stonings, if we could only see the cross like he had seen it, that we too would give our lives in unselfish service. The apostle lingers over point after point that we may in some measure comprehend the wonderful condescension of the Savior in behalf of sinners. This was Paul's obsession. He wanted for you and I to grasp Jesus lifted up. Jesus himself had said, if I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Hebrews chapter 12 
Paul writes, writing to the Hebrews as he's trying to point them throughout the book to the magnificence of Christ as our high priest, what he's doing for us. And this is crucial for us to grasp in the times that we're living in when he is our high priest in the, the heavenly sanctuary, ministering his sacrifice on our behalf for all of eternity, taking care of our sin problem. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it talks about how to have endurance. And this is coming from the pen of Paul who knew what endurance was like, who knew how to go on 10,000 miles in missionary journeys in a time when that was difficult, who knew what it was like to face stonings, who knew what it was like to be beaten in order to share Jesus. Verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight Stuff that drags us down. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author. Jesus started it all for you. And the finisher. Jesus is the only one that can finish it for you or for anyone else of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think about that joy that was set before Jesus. As Jesus was there going to the cross, he couldn't see through the tomb. He didn't know that he was going to come up on the other side except for by the promises that were in the word of God. What was the joy that was set before him? It wasn't about his eternity. It was about yours. It was about you living forever. It was about you being happy for eternity. It was about you enjoying every good gift that he had to offer you. And that was the joy that was set before him. And because of that, he was ready to endure the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, don't miss this. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Consider how Jesus, as he was there on the cross, what was it that people were tempting him to to do as he was there on the cross? Do you remember what they were saying to him? The passers-by, it says in Matthew chapter 26, they were saying, save yourself if you're, such, if you're the king of the Jews. Save yourself. This was the temptation for Jesus, and we know that he could have done this because he said to Peter, know that I could have called 12 legions of angels to help me right now. The priests went on to say the same exact thing. You who said you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, Go ahead and save yourself. Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. This was the temptation that Satan was heaping upon him. Go the path of selfishness. Go the path of seeking your own good above the good of others. But Jesus would rather you to be happy for eternity than for himself. Consider him, Paul says, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Fix your eyes on the cross. Fix your eyes on him who is willing to endure that because in seeing that unselfishness, our hearts are changed. By beholding, we become transformed. When we see the love of God displayed radically on the cross, it changes everything for us. Desire of Ages, page 416 says, Jesus did not count heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. He left the heavenly courts for a life of reproach and insult and a death of shame. He who is rich in heaven's priceless treasure became poor that through his poverty we might be rich. 
We are to follow in the path he trod. We're called to take up our cross, to follow after him, to give ourselves just like he gave himself for us. But we can only do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by asking that he would fill us with his Holy Spirit. As we set uh, up this coming sermon series where we're focused on how the Holy Spirit wants to empower each and every individual in this congregation to be the body of Christ in Templeton, in Atascadero, in, in Paso Robles. As we set that up, the motivation, the foundation has to be the cornerstone, the rock of our faith, Jesus Christ. If we start anywhere else, then we're missing the point. Jesus and his power alone can lead us to love unselfishly like he loved. And it's as we see that he loved us first that everything changes. I remember when I finally met Leah and we were having one of our first sit-down conversations. She actually asked that we sit down together and talk because she said, I see that things are happening in our relationship. I think we need to talk about this. So we went to this park, and we were sitting there, and as, as we were talking about things, she, we began to express that we both liked each other, and, and that we were really interested in a relationship, and then she began to tell me things that sounded completely foreign to me. They were different from every other girl that I'd ever met before. She began to tell me, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what kind of gifts you give me. I just want to spend time with you. It, it doesn't really matter where you take me out to eat or, or what kind of dates we go on, but, but if we could just have time together. And as I began to see an unselfish love in my life, let me tell you, it's a lot easier to be motivated to live a life where you want to give. You want to do nice things. You want to go on nice dates. You want to love because you've been first loved. Friend, if you've been noticing that your zeal is lagging, that your ardor has flagged, that you aren't feeling as passionate about sharing Jesus with people anymore, start with his love for you. Start with how much he has loved you, that he radically displayed his love on the cross, and let that be the motivation. Go to the cross. Start at the cross. Every day, pick up your Bible and say, Jesus, would you display your love for me? Take time in your mind just contemplating, praying over the scenes of Calvary. Take time to read passages about Calvary. Write it down right now if you don't know these passages, but Isaiah chapter 53. Read Isaiah chapter 53 until it becomes personal and real for you. Read Matthew chapter 26 and 27. Read, I believe it's Mark chapter 15 and 16. Read these stories of Jesus going to the cross. This is the foundation of our motivation to spread the three angels' messages to this world. It is the everlasting gospel. And in order for us to be motivated to do whatever it takes, we have to see Jesus lifted up. So I want to invite you. I don't know if that's the problem that Paul had with his eyes. I don't think it was. I think he had another problem where he says he wrote with big letters, and I believe it was because he wasn't able to see. There's some kind of problem with his vision that led Jesus to give him that vision of saying, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. But Paul had another problem, and it really wasn't a problem. Paul was cross-eyed. Paul couldn't get his eyes off the cross of Jesus Christ, and that changed everything for Paul, and it will change everything for you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
Would you fix our eyes on Jesus? God, would you forgive me? I've made it about so many other things besides what you have done for me. I haven't made this the starting point. I felt like I needed to earn your love to convince you to love me, but you have already loved me with a love that is infinite. Father, may that be the motivation of every single breath that I take, of every effort that I make to share you. Lord, may it be with a constant vision of your unselfish love for me, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.